inside and oh, just barely able to clear was Drager. That center ice put back in by Kenny, who eyes Drager at the blue line, and here they go. They talked about it for a couple of seconds, and now Big Barry Drager gets the left hand going. Kenny having trouble getting one free, and now he has trouble as he goes down. Drager with a couple of straight lefts before it was all said and done. Well, I'll tell you what, when you're fighting hockey, you've got to be aware of the lefties. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So welcome to episode 62, actual episode 80, and it's part two of my chat with Barry Dreger. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who reached out and uh, let me know how much they enjoyed the episode. Barry was a great guest, and uh, we're going to get into really get into the nuts and bolts now of his time in the IHL. We touched on it briefly in part one, but part two is really where we get into the nuts and bolts. And, uh, you know, I like part one and part two. Part two maybe a little bit better because I think some of the names that you hear you'll be more familiar with, and uh, Barry gets into uh, some of the scraps in a little more detail. So, uh, so I hope that you people enjoy part two of my chat with Barry Dreger. So, as always, if you could please subscribe, uh, like. <laughs> Let's try that again. Please subscribe to the show. Subscription is free. It costs you zero dollars, whether it's U.S., Canadian, rubles, rupees, euros, it's free. And by subscribing, you never, ever have to go searching for the show. The latest episode will always appear in your podcast feed. Why wouldn't you do it? Just go do it. You know what I'm saying? Just please go ahead. Go hit that subscribe button. Hit that follow button. I'll wait. Awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Also, if you have a second, could you like, rate, and review the show? One of those things, all of those things, it, it helps give the show greater visibility. I believe I appear in uh, more searches. It, it gives a gives it a broader scope. I think I don't know that. You know, I never really understand how the algor algorithms work. But if you could do any of that, it will definitely help the show. I don't want you to work on anything for a half hour. If it's something you could do in less than a minute and you don't mind, please do. Uh, the social media presence 
of Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box Podcast, on Twitter at Pod. Also, I have a personal Twitter account at Joe underscore Lozito. Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. If you are a fan of the show, I, I really don't like saying fan of the show. How about if you enjoy the show, you will enjoy the social media of the uh Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, any or all of them, you'll enjoy it. It's all Islander organizational enforcer related stuff. Uh, definitely check it out, follow it, like it, uh, whatever it is on whichever platform, I will return the favor in kind. Now, if you scroll down a little bit after the description in the episode you're listening to, you're going to see two links for Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. The first link is for the original logo merchandise. The second link is for the alternate logo merchandise. Do me a favor. Go ahead. Check it out. Uh, School starting up again for, for my youngest boy. He starts college tomorrow, first day of college or today, depending on when you're listening to this. I think a lot of schools start in a week after Labor Day. Uh, But depending where you are in the country or the world, school may have started already. Why not complete your back-to-school clothes shopping purchases by purchasing some Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box merchandise? You can access both stores via the links in the episode description, the description of the episode you're listening to at this very moment. Now, as always, there's a listener uh, exclusive discount. The discount for this week is Dregs20, D-R-E-G-S-2-0, and that will expire on September 6th, 2021. So please uh, check out those links, and if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to purchase anything, make sure you use code Dregs20. And the reason why I love the merchandise so much is because of the logo. The logo is done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. You can reach him on Twitter at GraphicsJoker and also at LoudEgg.com. Joe is a great guy. He's a great artist. And uh, you could do a lot worse than Joe Marisich. I I promise you that. A couple of other shows I'd like to tell you about. First show is the Fourth Line Voice podcast. That is my friend Darren in Saskatoon. Two shows a week on the Hockey Podcast Network. His latest episode is the Sunday Shit Show. But before that, and the Sunday Shit Shows are basically where he stares out the window and shakes his fist like Grandpa Simpson, something I can definitely relate to. Uh, I'm in the middle of listening to the latest one today. Uh, But his episode on Wednesday was another uh, in the series of his five toughest opponents. That's really a great idea that Darren had to to reconnect with some of his former guests and just get into details of some of the the five toughest opponents they had. I mean, who would have thought of something like that? Darren did great, great topics. And his latest episode had Tristan Grant. Now, I don't know Tristan Grant. I never met the guy, but I have to be honest. I kind of get the feeling that Tristan Grant would be a pretty cool guy to hang out with. He just has that kind of energy about him when you listen to the episode. And um, he kind of throws a little bit of a curveball for his uh, his number one guy. Uh, not that the number one guy isn't tough. He definitely is. But you kind of expect, you know, I guess in your head you're always kind of expecting uh, to hear a particular name or two. It's actually kind of cool to hear someone different. So, uh, But definitely go back and listen. And, and like I said, Tristan seems like a really, really cool guy. Him and Darren have a great rapport. And uh, I, I beg of you. Well, I don't beg of you. I, I would say it behooves you to go back and listen to 
Wednesday's episode, Five Toughest Opponents with Tristan Grant. There are some other podcasts out there that are doing something similar. They may have lifted the idea from the Fourth Line Voice podcast. And when I say they may have, I mean they did. Um, so definitely uh, go and listen to this and uh, check out his back catalog as well. And actually, I think the thing, uh, one of the things to listen to is, you know, uh, Darren, myself, Alec, uh, we all kind of promote each other's shows on our shows. And uh, Darren always, I, <laughs> he always has this uh, lengthy, uh, in, you know, uh, explanation about me and, and different things. And I don't know, the one today, <laughs> I think he's losing his marbles. I don't know. I I told him, I don't know where you come up with this stuff, but I always, always appreciate the laugh. So that's something else to uh, keep an ear out for. If you, uh, if you go and listen to fourth line voice podcast, uh, I don't know if he's uh, tapping the Pilsner before he records these things, but, uh, but Darren, I always, always appreciate the laughs. And I always, always LOL as the kids would say, laugh out loud. Also, Check out the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. YouTube is taking off hockey fight content left and right. Darren's channel is still there, over 2,500 fights. You know you've been on YouTube watching hockey fights, and I promise you if you have, you have definitely been to the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. So definitely check that out as well. Uh, the aforementioned Alec is Alec Olin Salen from the Five for Fighting podcast. Now, Alec took a break for a little bit. He's come back with a vengeance. And now I'm wondering, his wife bought him this nice sign, like neon sign, uh, sort of like the Krispy Kreme sign. Go figure, I'm making a reference and using uh, sweets to uh, give the example. It's sort of like that light up sign, Five for Fighting podcast. So I guess now he's sort of committed to doing a certain number of shows uh, unless he's going to take another break. Cause I can't imagine the missus is going to be too happy. She spent the money on that sign. He's got to probably put in 20, 30 more episodes before he has to take another hiatus, but it's pretty cool. It's always nice. I know like my wife supports my show and I know his wife supports his show. So, uh, so good job by Mrs. Olin Salen with that nice sign that she got Alec. Alex's latest episode, what he's doing now with these Facebook Live episodes, it's amazing what the kids can figure out. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how he's doing it. He may as well be a wizard as far as uh, my dinosaur ass is concerned because he's probably clicking a button or two and, and he's doing these interviews on Facebook Live and then he, pro and then he uh, uploads them on Tuesday. So his latest episode on Facebook Live was with Dr. Chris. Chris is on social media. He's always very supportive of my shows, uh, Darren, sh my shows, my show, Darren's show, Alex's show. And um, he's a really good guest. It's just really at this point, that show was cool because it was two guys just shooting the shit. Uh, I think Dr. Chris was talking about his five favorite fights. And when you get to that point, you end up talking about 15 or 20 fights. And it was a really good listen, solid listen. And um, Alec just did a Facebook live episode with Jason bone, which he will upload for Tuesday. So definitely check those out. Check out the Dr. Chris episode, check out the Jason bone episode, check out his back catalog. And when you're listening, go to Facebook, check out the enforcer appreciation page for two reasons. One, it's a pretty good group. There's some dickheads in there. There, you know, as I always say, social media, microcosm of society, but they're getting weeded out. And uh, there's a lot of good guys in that group. A lot of a lot of players are in the group, and for the most part, it's uh, it's interesting. But before the uh, ass wipes get kicked out, 
you could see some of the comments and uh, you'll actually see where Darren gets a lot of his materials for the uh, Sunday shit shows is in that group. But it's a fun group. Lots of good stuff in there. Videos, pictures, definitely the, you know, the best fight group on Facebook and, um, and you will not be disappointed. So check out the five for fighting podcast with Alec. Check out the enforcer appreciation page on Facebook. While the show is in hiatus, check out the back catalog of the Bucket Drop podcast with my friend Bobby Longgrass. Um, I'm assuming he will be back in a few weeks with the start of the season coming up. I'm actually surprised that he hasn't put out an episode. There's been a lot of combat sports uh, cards lately. I thought he might put put uh, an episode or two out, talk about betting, talk about the fights, but he hasn't. Very busy. He's got a little baby girl. He's got another one on the way. But uh, but I enjoy Bobby's episodes. They're short, 20 minutes or so, uh, focusing mostly on the Canadians, the Senators, and the Leafs. He does talk about combat sports. He does talk about betting. You run, you got to run to the market. You got to run an errand. It's a perfect timed episodes for you to do so. So when he is back, check out the Bucket Drop podcast. A few other things. If you're on my social media, especially my Twitter, you see that I have continue to post the GoFundMe. That is for my friend Steve from when Probert was king.com. Everybody at this point, if you're a regular listener to my show or Alex show or Darren's show, you've heard us talk about this ad nauseum. Steve is trying to rebuild the old drop your glove site, but not rebuild it. Sort of like Steve Austin. If you're of a certain age, Steve Austin isn't Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Austin is the $6 million man. So the $6 million man was at one point, just Steve Austin. Then they rebuilt him. They rebuilt him. They rebuilt him. And he was stronger and faster and all this other stuff. So what Steve's trying to do is take the old Drop Your Glove site and turn it into the $6 million man version of the Drop Your Glove site. And it's going to cost around ten grand. we are a little bit past halfway there. Anything you can donate will definitely help. And if you're unable to donate, if you could please retweet my tweet, uh, and just spread the word. And also, if you're someone that does web design and you're interested in a little work, um, contact me, contact Steve. He's on Twitter, whenprobertwasking.com. You can get him there. Contact Darren, contact Alec. We can all get in touch with him. And uh, if it's something, if you're in uh, into doing a very, very large project, but I would think some of it would be a lot of fun, you know, reach out to one of us and uh, we'll get your information to Steve. A uh, couple of other announcements. Um, I want to um, send my condolences to a uh, guest of the show and someone I've been friends with a long time, Darcy Harris. Uh, Darcy lost his mom this week. And, um, you know, Darcy's one of the nicest people I've ever met. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with his mom and his upbringing. And uh, I, I've never met her, but I'm sure she's a fantastic lady. And I know she touched a lot of people. And, um, you know, to just say I'm sorry, it just sounds, you know, hollow like I, I never really know what to say but uh you know just want to send my condolences to darcy and his family on on the loss of his mother um you know just uh i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry darcy i never really know what to say but but condolences um one of darcy's old coaches jerry fleming someone who i am a big fan of i actually have jerry on my minor league enforcer mount rushmore I love Jerry Fleming. I think he's tough as nails. Uh, I want to congratulate Jerry. He was named the head coach 
of the expansion Iowa Heartlanders of the East Coast Hockey League. They are the East Coast affiliate of the Iowa Wild and guess who? The Minnesota Wild. Uh, Jerry's been very successful everywhere he's been, and uh, he's an old school coach. And uh, just want to say congratulations to Jerry for getting uh, a coaching job back in uh, North America. I know he was in Germany for a while. It's good to have him back. It's always good to have the uh, the tough guys behind the bench because uh, they're some of the smartest people and uh, they pay attention to detail more than uh, more than the average player. So uh, congratulations to Jerry Fleming. Um, also, as you've seen me post on my social media, I am interested in um, game-used gear, game-worn jerseys, game-worn um, helmets, game-worn gloves, game-used sticks. So um, anything that you may have or that you know of that has to do with the uh, Islanders or uh, minor league affiliate, anybody that's ever been on the show, anybody that uh, you've seen me post about on social media, I'm always looking to add to the collection. Uh, I would appreciate you getting in touch with me. I don't know if I can afford everything that uh, that you may have, but uh, the worst I could say is thanks for letting me know, and I'm sorry I can't afford it, but I would appreciate it if uh, if you have anything that you're interested in parting with. And like I said, the number one thing that's on my uh, hit list right now, what's in my bomb sites right now, is the uh, number 48 New York Islanders jersey that Dean Ewan wore. Uh, it was originally sold by uh, Fairmore Sports back in the 90s. And uh, there's no name on the back, but it's a white Islanders jersey with number 48 on it. The uh, the classic style jersey. Uh, you know, if you, if you see one of those floating around or you know someone who has it, uh, please let me know. I'd appreciate it. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. Uh, as I mentioned, Darren is part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Another friend of mine, Terry Ryan, is also part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And Terry just released an episode with Aaron Asham. Now, I did a two-part episode with Aaron, and uh, and I love it. And I, I I mean, I've known Aaron a long time, and I think we knocked it out of the park mostly because of him, not me. But Terry's interview is different, and it's a, it's an excellent listen because Terry and Aaron they've been friends since the Western League. They played uh, a little while in Red Deer, then they played in in Fredericton, hung out a lot. They're really close. They're really good friends, and I would say it's obviously a different interview than the one that I put out. But it, it's it's cool because it's like two guys, two ex-teammates, two buddies talking, swapping stories, um, and Aaron has, has an incredible story. So I would highly recommend you check out all the episodes of Tales with TR, but definitely for Islander fans out there, check out the latest episode with Aaron Asham. You know you love Ash. You know he always delivers, and you can actually hear these two guys swapping stories and... Um, you know, just shooting the shit. It was a really, really fun listen. And uh, Terry does this thing at the end where he does these um, quick hit questions. And uh, those are always pretty interesting. So let's see. You know, I always want to check how long the intro is. All right. 17 minutes. So, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry about that. So, yeah. So that's it on the intro. Uh, I want to introduce uh, or reintroduce Barry Dreger to you. Uh, like I said, Barry was, uh, I don't know how many times I say, like I said, in these interviews, I apologize for that. Uh, Barry, tough guy, uh, staggering penalty minute numbers, really, really good guy, solid defenseman. And uh, I hope that you people enjoyed part one. And here is part two of my chat with Barry Dreger. We pick up with Barry Dreger after the 93-94 season. And uh, we will start with the summer job 
that he had that year. Take it away, Barry Dreger. One thing I do hope you remember is the summer job you had that year after your first year in San Diego. Do you remember that? Did I play roller hockey? You played roller hockey with the San Diego Barracudas. Yep. How was that? Interesting. Um, So Kirk Kleinendorf uh, coached it. Um, I can remember. So a couple funny stories. Another guy that played that year was a guy by the name of Link Gates. Played for Oakland. And, you know, thinking about going in. I think it was Oakland he played for. You're going in there, and you're like, oh, my God, Link's here. You're going to have to fight Link. Like, so, he like, luckily he didn't play that night because, you know, he, everybody knows the legend of Link and, and his, you know, who he is and what he's all about, but he didn't play. Um, but I remember, like, because I had played in the stash myself, I had people trying to fight me or wanted to fight me. And I'm like, they're like, I'm like, who? And then not to be disrespectful, like, who, like, who are you? Like, yeah. where do you play? And he's like, oh, I play in the AHL. I'm like, the Alberta Junior Hockey League? Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, give me a break. Like, I'm not fighting in this freaking league. I'm not fighting you for the little bit of money that I'm making to stay in San Diego year-round and live the dream, right? Train, live the dream. I was fortunate. The setup was good. I went and worked with, you know, a training facility there that was tied to our medical guy, and it was good. I mean, it was fun. We had, you know, played in some great cities, got to play in the Shark Tank, got to play in Anaheim Stadium, and, you know, it was just fun. I mean, still, you know, young, relatively young, 23, 24, 25 years old, and, you know, living in California year-round, that's pretty special, isn't it? Definitely. Now, how did you find the adjustment to the the inline? Because I read a book on the on the RHI, and they had a lot of players. I forget which team it was, where they said they were just recruiting players, and a lot of the players had never used the the inline skates. And they said a lot. You know, you could take players that weren't necessarily established pros, but they had been on inline skates for a few years, and they skated circles around the pros because they just weren't used to it. Had you ever been on inline skates before? I'd never been, I, I mean, I've been on inline skates, but not the play like straight yeah. line skating or skating on the road street or whatever. So mm-hmm. it, it was, it was adjustment. So you could adjust over time and learn how to like transfer weight to be able to stop. So by the end of the year, you got, by the end of the season, you got to a point where you could do probably, you know, a lot more than when you could start. But for me, the big, the, the, the transition back was harder. Mm-hmm. So I flew back to train in with the week, like with Kevin Chevel day off and Cam Brown, you know, the weekends, you know, we had a week Keystone center. We're going to skate, get ready for training camp. I think I went to Winnipeg Jets training camp that year, put my skates on and went into the corner to pick up the puck and ran straight into the wall. Cause I didn't know how to turn yeah. on ice skates anymore. It was just, it was <laughs> so, but like it was, it was dangerous. I'll be honest with you. For me, it was the transition back was dangerous because mm. it was like, I didn't even, I didn't think of it, but then cause your weight transfer is different and how do you stop? And I, you know, it was all totally different. So it was, there was a few moments of, you know, scary for sure. Yeah. I was wondering that because I've skated on ice and skated on, inline skates and and uh we had a team here for one year rhi so i skated on the sport court that they had and not that i can skate on either one i mean i'm horrific but i even i remember it was a completely different thing where you're gliding more on ice where you had to put more of an effort in to even start your stride with the inline skates and then couple that with yourself who's a defenseman you have to learn how to skate backwards on the inline skates that's why i figured it must have been an interesting transition yeah, I you know like just as we're talking right now and the rule changes and 
minor hockey and youth hockey and you're in, I would say you're going to see a lot, a lot more people come from inline into hockey because the rules now are taking they've taken such strides away from you know big contact and and hitting without purpose that in inline the technique to 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 check people there's no real stops and you know you have to kind of angle into everything and so that's kind of where the game, hockey the game is going now where where there's way more emphasis placed on having to learn proper angling techniques and how do you put stick on puck and how do you play through their hands and I you know I I was, I think you're gonna see some more you know, I think you'll see more and more people coming through that ranks because it's because those kids usually if they start there they become pretty good players I think maybe that's where McDavid started wasn't it Maybe I don't know well wherever he started that's a good way to start because that kid yeah. is unbelievable Yeah no for sure. Uh, going back to San Diego, your second year now. Now, that's the year of the NHL lockout. Uh, you had a different coach, Walt Kyle, took over for Harold. Uh, how was that adjustment to uh, Walt's style as opposed to Harold Snepp's? Well, so the tie-in to Walt, totally different, yeah. obviously. Um, Walt came and watched me skate at practice for inline skating. And basically... Walt's a no-nonsense guy. Mm-hmm. He's just a straight fact, matter-of-fact guy. Um, I can't remember exactly the conversation, but it kind of went like this. Kind of watched you practice today. Don't think you have very good practice habits. And I'm not sure you can play defense, but if you can't play defense, I'm going to move you to forward. Mm-hmm. And then he basically walked away. And went, <laughs> okay. And then – his next statement, then the se- we started the season, I played with Dale DeGray. He said, there's two things. He says, your job is to get the puck to DeGray. So, like, you touch the puck, just get it to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you see the blue line there? He says, if you step two feet inside the blue line, you'll never play again. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Okay, so, so Walt was very, very matter-of-fact. So Walt's now an agent or was an agent. And mm-hmm. so I've talked to him, you know, over the last you – know, I've ran into him and – seen him a few times over the last two, three, four years. And just a, like a pretty neat matter of fact kind of guy um, knows the game. Well, you know, and uh, you know, he came from the college experience. So he, that was kind of my first college experience coach and like skill development. And, you know, we're going to go into small groups and we're going to do, you know, different, he just caught coached a little bit, a lot differently. And then he also did a lot more, you know, 10 game segment review and, you know, all these different things. So it was, he was, he was the first, um, he was probably the first pro style coach I played for. Um, This season, as I mentioned, it was a lockout season. So was it noticeable in the play? Because you had a lot of NHL players coming down to play in the IHL. Uh, Was it noticeable the uptick in talent uh, with the teams that you were playing? I'll, I'll just say this: go look at the uh, go look at the Las Vegas Thunder roster, and you'll you'll know the answer. Like yeah. <laughs> the Las Vegas Thunder, Jim Kite, and the the uh, I don't even know their names. The two kit two guys from uh, the Capitals were there. Um, Pavanka, Bonk was yeah. there. Yeah, Bondra and Pavanka, Bonk. Yeah, I, you just go, Bob Joy. You just go look, go look at their roster, and you'll go like, they 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 would have been a top. The Las Vegas Thunder would have been a middle up to top pack in the National Hockey League. That's how good they were. 
Well, and if you go on YouTube and put in your name, I think the first fight that comes up is a game that was on ESPN2. And actually, Dean and I were talking about this last night because it was the game where he was all over Radic Bonk all game. And uh, you had an amazing fight with Bob Joyce. Do you remember that one? Yeah, well, so Bob Joyce is from Winnipeg. So Bob and at the time, years later, we played in Orlando together. So mm-hmm. Uh, funny, the funny story. And again, it's a funny story and it's, you know, it turns out to be a good fight and, you know, Bob's a gamer, but no, you know, he he did. It's a very good fight. He does really well. And I I did do what I usually do. And, you know, years later we've, we're good friends and I just talked to him the other day and, uh, he's like, yeah, you took my woohoo. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, in the middle of the fight, you punched me right in the throat. And he goes, I can't do the woo, the woohoo anymore. So. Uh. Yeah, it was yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny you can fast forward from that fight. Um you fast forward from that fight probably 6 years we're both playing in Orlando together against the Winnipeg Moose and Darren Kimball's playing mm-hmm. for the Moose at the time. And so again, it's small world when I was in PA when I tried to try out for PA, Darren Kimball played for the Raiders that year. And he was a killer down. At, I mean, he's a killer yeah. everywhere he played. But well, Darren Kimball in PA. Yeah, the, the funny story is we riding back in on the bus at PA, and I'm sitting beside him, and I put a bottle down or a can down, and it like starts rolling down the thing. He goes, uh, he goes like rookie mistake there, bud. <laughs> so fast forward, like fast forward from the fight with Bob, who now is my teammate, and we're both in Winnipeg. And I end up fighting Darren Kimball, and I end up doing pretty well in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, Kimball's an, like straight up tough guy yeah. fighter. Like we're going again, and whatever. And I was fortunate; we fought a couple of times, and I had you know had did well, you know, had yeah. success. And we both show up, and we do our thing, and we go to the box. And he he was very upset. But anyways, I get off the ice, and we're on the bus, and he goes, Bob comes up to me, he goes, Hey, um, my dad told me that I should thank you because. Kimball won. He was like all over Bob and wanted to fight him. He goes, my dad said, yeah, Drager did pretty good against took care of you, buddy. It's funny. It's like, and my dad said, hey, make sure you thank Barry for that because he wanted to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good story. Um, so I won't, I won't go through the list of guys that I had. I'm going to ask you about one player just because he's a friend of mine. He's a, a former guest of the show and, uh, he was an established heavyweight at the time in the league playing for the Denver Grizzlies. And, uh, wondering if you remember battling Mike McWilliam. Yeah, he's an animal. Yeah. <laughs> Big, Big Mac and I fought two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's an animal. He's, um, he's a tough, he's yeah. a tough guy. You know, I've, yeah, you don't want to talk about really good teams. You look at, again, a Kevin Day off Butch Goring team. Yeah. That Utah Grizzly team where they won back-to-back championships, that team, um, you know, their their, la- their late-season acquisitions was Travis. It was Terry Yake. Like, literally guys playing in Ash Hockley, they ended up winning, and it was awesome. But, yeah, Big Max, uh, he's an animal. He's a scary, scary hombre. Yeah. Now, this is, you know, your second year in the IHL, you're, you're established now. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, you're an established, I'll call you heavyweight, whether you, you believe it or not. And you're established, you know, regular player. Um, you're a lefty and it seems like, uh, you catch a, a lefties generally catch a lot of players off guard when they fight. How big of an advantage did you find that at least your first go around through the league? Um, 
You know what's interesting about it is the the guys that that weren't so the guys that were heavyweights were always prepared because mm. you look at you can easily look at the stats and you, you know who is or isn't you know does what they do and so like they they study it they you know you know the heavyweights you know what the tendencies are right so so those 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 for the against them that's not the there's no advantage there because they know how to tie up they know how to cross tie up they know how to like you know they know how to they know how to counter everything right they it because because it's their job right it's, they have to do it otherwise they we don't have a job so it's against guys like like a bob joyce or you know my late friend dan snyder who ends up or uh, not snyder that's not true i apologize you know i find ben simon who i find in Orlando. like they just don't those are the guys that fall victim to not knowing it. Like I played my first year, second year in Columbus. We didn't make the playoffs. We go to Erie, Pennsylvania, Cam Brown's playing there. And I forget the gentleman that I fight and we're out of the playoffs. Uh, Erie's in the playoffs. Cam's their captain. And there's this guy that's just bugging me all the time. And so I end up fighting him and I think I, I, I think his helmet breaks, whatever. And, and I do really well in the, and, the guy's like, I had no clue he was a lefty. And the guy's like, well, why are you pissing? Why are you messing with him anyways? Like, yeah. and like in between the first and second period, Terry Roskowski's like, what, 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 what's wrong with you guys? Drager, like, what's wrong with you? Like Cam Brown's like, you know, you scared of him. Like, so he just like provoked me. Like, yeah. you know, you need to do something. So like this kid came at the wrong time, didn't know what I was and it wasn't good. Yeah. And so Brownie's going like, "What are you doing? Like, <laughs> don't be like that was that was not a smart move." So, so the so the left-handed fight, like that, my being left-handed was helpful, you know, initially, but not again. A- after a couple, you know, after a couple rounds in the league, you, you know, you know, like I'll give you an example, like like a Serge Roberge, like yeah. I, I, I talked to, um, you know, different people who coach with them, and he would like if he didn't know you or he didn't have video on you, like he'd call his, he'd go like, Hey, uh, Mario, like what, what's the, what's trigger like, or Hey, uh, what, what story on this guy? Like, so everyone starts to get a, get a playbook on each other and they, they, they learn about you. And I'll, I'll give you a funny story. When I was in Orlando, um, Chris King, who longtime NHL, I think it's Chris King played in, in the national Hockey league. He was sent down to Chicago, and I don't know where I got the information. But someone like, oh, he's down there. He's just a big. He's a one punch guy. And then if yeah, once he if you don't, he doesn't tag you on the one punch, then you're okay. So like, I square up with the guy, and I'm like kind of laughing at him, like ah yeah whatever whatever whatever, because I'm like he's got one punch. I gotta just avoid the first punch, and then I'm set. I'll be good, right? So. Sure enough, I I avoid the first punch, but then he continues to like berate me with punch after punch after punch after punch and go back. It's back in the old days of satellite TV and my uncle when he was alive, you know, I didn't talk to him a lot, but he ended up, he watched almost all my games and I ended up talking to him at some point. He's like, Yeah, that fight against King, he's like, um, yeah, you didn't really do very well against him. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, again, I had I had information, and I thought I knew what I was doing, and he just proved that he was, you know, a National, Hockey League, o'clock. National Hockey League guy and well 
established in the in the game of fighting and and the game and and I you know I learned a lesson that was later in my career too. Uh, so at the end of that season, San Diego relocates to L.A. They become the L.A. Ice Dogs. And uh, a new team is coming into the league in Orlando, which we've spoken about a little bit. And their GM, someone you mentioned, Don Waddell, uh, trades their third-round pick in the IHL expansion draft to L.A. for your rights. And uh, Waddell was your GM in San Diego. Obviously, he was a Barry Dreger fan. Um, were you happy to go to Orlando, or did you want to see uh, see things through with L.A.? Uh, you know what I, I so they so LA San Diego moves to LA to become the Ice Dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I had no preference at the time. Right. Um, you know I obviously enjoyed California. Fall, going where Don with Don was you know obviously a safe spot and a nice place to go. Um, you know I, I was indifferent to it, mm-hmm. but you know it, it turns out like he, they trade me for Mark Hardy, who was a longtime NHL guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was indifferent to it, but the LA, the Ice Dogs, which was a franchise for three or four years there, you know, certainly my career in Orlando and, uh, you know, my personal life has, you know, ties back to Orlando and my kids are born there and all that stuff. So, um, you know, Orlando turned out to be, you know, a big part of my life and, uh, and an awesome experience. So I was really indifferent to it. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back down to the fact that listen, I just want to play. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew I knew with Don, I they, we'd have a good team. I didn't know how, you know. I knew we would put a good team together. I knew Orlando was a good situation. The, you know, the DeVos family who owned the Orlando Magic was in, you know, in charge, and another great city in regards to like climate and environment, and you know, just special. But I was very, again, I just where I played really didn't matter. I just wanted to play, mm-hmm. and I wanted to play on good teams, and so I knew that would be a good team. So you find yourself on another expansion team. Uh, again, IHL, this is the prime IHL years. Uh, everybody's tough. Uh, well, every team has tough players. Your your team's no exception uh, aside from you. Uh, Mike Hartman, another former NHLer, is on the team. Uh, Joe Frederick, who I think is sort of undercover, undercover tough, where he's not necessarily someone that people think about at first, but I know he, he can go when he drops him. Uh, Jeff Sirk is there. And uh, former guest of the show, Sharky, Kerry Clark is there. So uh, what are your impressions of this dressing room that you're in in terms of the tough guys? Yeah, listen, we're we're deep. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, like when I left, when I was in San Diego, Don, you know, Don and I, you know, every once in a while, he'd come in and go, "Hey, I can bring in in so and so." Like, you know, I don't want you to have to do it by yourself all the time. So, uh, you know, Don always had, you know, we had pretty tough teams, right? We didn't get pushed around a lot. Obviously, Kurt Fraser style hockey was, you know, he liked physical players and guys that would do the dirty work. So you look at Sharky, obviously you know, well-established pro at that level and, you know, a good reputation that he'd fight anybody. And, you know, Jeff Circa was, he was only short time there, but mm-hmm. another guy that showed up every night and, you know, lunch pail guy that would show up, good player, good defenseman. Um, you know, so we had depth, you know, in, in that, in that arena, but again, more importantly, we had a good, we had a good team. Yeah. You know, we had good players there. And, um, you know, it's funny that year. And I tell a story almost every year to every team I coach. It's like, I, I don't know what the number was, but we went like Owen, like forever, Owen a ton. And, you know, Don Waddell tells a story. I know I've heard him tell the story, you know, on a different network. Some of that I was like, I got in the car in Detroit and had to drive to, to uh, Cleveland or something. He's like, I was going to trade the whole team. And cause he's like, these guys can't win. And by the time he got to Cleveland or wherever he was driving, he's like, no, no, these guys are 
good players and this is a good team. Like we just need to like relax and like let it happen. And that team ended up going on that year and setting a record for, uh, well, we almost set the record for consecutive wins. And we ended up going to the finals and lost to the Utah Utah Grizzlies in four straight. Three of those four four uh, games went to overtime, and the the, sta- the deciding game went to triple overtime. And great, yeah. uh, great, like you talk, like great, Dave Jack, or uh, uh, you talk about great teams. Those were awesome teams and awesome players. Great, probably the best hockey I played. Now we mentioned Kerr Fraser a few times. I'm a big fan of Kerr Fraser from his playing days. Now, fortunate thing with Kurt is when he played, a lot of the Canucks games weren't on television. There's really limited footage of of Kurt out there, but Kurt is legitimate badass. He just seems like a really intense guy, nice guy, but you know, like you said, this team that that uh, Don assembled, this is a Kurt Fraser team, and he, like you say, you had your uh, experiences with him in Milwaukee camp, and then when he came to see you in Columbus, what was it like finally playing for him? Scary. Yeah. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, so Cam Brown played for Fraz. Fraz has a reputation, you know. So like he was a mean. Sob tough guy, yeah. you know, fought everyone. Huge, another guy with huge, huge hands. Yep. Uh, intensity, amazing. But more so than all of that, he's a specimen. Like he's, you know, it's like you got to be in shape. You got, you know, again, you got to like we didn't. That was the beginning of training the way we train now. And like Fraz was like ahead of the curve and just a specimen. He's like he played Cam Brown's like drags. Like you better show, you better get on the bench press because he's gonna bench press you and you better be able to run because he's going to run and like he's going to be the guy that's in the best shape so just being in shape and being prepared and being in t- you know that intensity level was you know was always there and um, you know I was fortunate I most all the coaches I played for liked my style Fraz certainly was one of the guys that liked my styles for sure I, I met him um, he, it was after his Islander stint uh, as an assistant coach, and I forget who he was with the following year. And he was standing, he was sitting in the crowd during the warm up, and um, for whatever team he was with. And I just went up to him and introduced myself, just told him I was a big fan and everything. And like you say, he shook my hand, and I, I had to make sure it was still there when we were done because strong guy, big hands, and everything, but just definitely a presence. So I can definitely see uh, what you mean when you talk about playing for him. Right. Well, but I'll give you the other side of it is, is like, and again, played for interesting people. He's a very interesting person. So yeah. he, we, that same year, one of those years we were playing and we, it was Christmas time and, and I'm relaying the story, but he took out Pete Horchuk and Scotty Moon and Craig Brewer, who are equipment and medical guys. And they went out to dinner and they were sitting in some kind of lobby or whatever. And there was a, grand piano there was a piano over there and Fraz is like let's go over and let's, you know sing a couple songs or like Christmas carols or whatever and they're like what are you talking about <laughs> what so he sits down behind the piano and he starts belting out like Christmas songs and and different things so he's like a, you know like a little concert piano. like he played different instruments or whatever and just totally you would net you were like what what are you talking about but he was an accomplished musician like you could do you do different things. It was interesting. Now, I've asked you about some of your teammates, and it's always been the tougher guys, but we talked about this guy the other night. I said I wanted to ask you about him. Uh, this season, Craig Fisher had, had to have, if not, I mean, 
it, it's if not the greatest IHL season in terms of points. It has to be top 10. I mean, 82 games, 74 goals, 56 assists, 130 points. What what was it like watching that guy play that season? Ridiculous. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I share the story all the time. Like I, I look at different, uh, as a coach, you talk about competing and talk about battling You talk about, you know, all these different things. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, if you were to ask fish about his skating, I, and I don't know if he was a good skater or not, so it's not for me to decide, but I, I don't think he's, you know, he's, he wasn't an animal. He wasn't like six to two eighty. Like he was just, that wasn't him, but what was special about him, I talk about people competing or people being tough. Like he wasn't tough. Like I'm going to fight you. I'm going to like run you over. But when you got inside the, you know, we, in hockey, we talk about the house, but when you got inside that, the door, I, I'm using a door. I'm making it up as I go along, but you talk about being in front of the net. He, he was the toughest, most gritty, most determined player in that little area that season that I've ever seen in my life. Now, and I, and I, and I so he was, was he a tough player in that spot, in that area? He was cra- incredibly tough. Um, but I, but I, you can't credit him for all of that without giving some props to a guy by the name of Mark Buffet, yeah, yeah. who added over 100 points. And you can't give, you know, Craig Fisher doesn't do all of that. And I'm not trying to take away from it because it's an amazing accomplishment. But he also plays with a guy by the name of Dave Barr, mm-hmm. who was a longtime NHL guy. Like, that line was pretty incredible. You know, he, all three of them had over 100 points. And, um, you know, I, again, we had that was a special. The, all of those Orlando teams were all special in different ways. But, you know, like, that was – Fish was pretty amazing that year. It was an incredible run for sure. And and you guys were on TV a lot, so um, it was easy to follow his his season. Right. And at the end of the season, in the summer, whatever it is, he ends up signing with the Islanders. Probably the worst thing he could have done because Mike Milbury was here, and uh, I don't. He didn't make it out of training camp, and they ended up sending him to Utah, and then they eventually ended up trading him to Florida. Uh, I always wonder if he would have signed with a different team. Uh, and he had had cups of coffee before with some NHL teams, and it never seemed to work out like it did that single year in Orlando. But I always wonder, coming off that season, he had to have the most confidence he's ever had. And I always wonder if he ended up with a different team, with a different coach, if it would have, and you know, that season, the following season would have gone differently for him. Yeah, you know, I, I again, you know, nobody, you can't. I mean, hindsight's always twenty yeah. twenty, but you know, when you look at players. Um, you know, it's like, you know, if I look at myself and I go, okay, well, why didn't I play? Well, I wasn't, you know, I can look at my, my skill set and say, hey, I did enough that I deserved an opportunity. Was I good enough to stay there every day? Like, probably, you know, like, yeah, I probably was, but I was, there was something missing, right? I, there was something missing in my game. Otherwise, I would I would have made it. You make it because you have something, right? You make it because you do something right all the time. Like, you're you're good at it, you know, like. You, you become a player and you make it to national hockey because you're consistent. And so we all lack something and, you know, we, he didn't overcome what he lacked, whatever that was, whether it was skating or his, you know, toughness away from the front of the net or, you know, whatever, like Mike Milbury's a tough guy to play for. Right. Yeah. So. Um, 
I don't think I don't think people can tell the story of the Orlando Solar Bears without mentioning your name. I mean, I know you're a humble guy and everything, um, but as I go through the years that you played in Orlando, like we talk about this first year expansion team, tough team. You had 24 fights. You're taking on all the big boys in the league, like Barry Nightcar, Steve McLaren, John Craighead, Pat Cote, Gord Donnelly. I mean, you're, and, and you didn't do it yourself, but. You're taking on these guys and, you know, I just like I always like to bring this up because people look at the numbers and everything, but you did more for that team than just fight. I'm sure that you were a leader. Uh, you were at this point, you had been in the league a few years besides taking on those big guys. And I always like to kind of point it out that, you know, if if someone wrote the story of the Orlando Solar Bears, you have to be a big part of that. Uh, I, I, listen, I a big part of my life is. A big part of my life was Orlando. I, out of the seven seasons that there were there, eight seasons there, obviously I was I had two stints with Orlando. Um, you know, I I met my wife there or my ex-wife there and had my family there. And um, you know, Orlando's always going to be a special place. Um, it, it, it's a big part of my life, and and cert and certainly. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm humble in regards to, I was very fortunate to be there. And, you know, I think when you become consistent at your job and you know your identity and you become part of the fabric of a community and stuff like that. And I certainly was a benefactor of, you know, of my family and, and people that I was associated with. Um, yeah, I would agree. I tend to agree with you, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know where to go with that. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I cer- certainly the, uh, when I look at that program, when I look at that team, and you look at Todd Richards who's had success, and you look at Hubie McDonough who was there for a long time, and you know, you look at the core people that were there. You know, I was one of three or four people that were there for most of the time that they were there, right? So, you know, I, I would agree it's hard hard for me to separate myself from Orlando and not say that it's probably, you know, my it was it's where I played most of my career, so. Well, I just wanted to say it because there's so many detractors to, you know, people who played the enforcer role, everyone, you know, if you don't understand it, you don't understand it. And it, it's an easy job for people who just don't get it to take shots at. And I just always like to kind of, you know, bring up stuff like that for, for guys like yourself who gave everything they had and really put it on the line every night for their teammates. So it's really not for you to answer. I just really wanted to point it out. So, you know, well, yeah, I, I I appreciate that. Like, like I said, Orlando's a special place. So I always always will be meaningful for me. And um, you know, I've done another podcast. The other, my other podcast I did was with the Solar Bears. So it's you know, you talk about that connectivity back to Orlando. Certainly, they feel feel the same a little bit. So I appreciate your sharing that. Yeah, and uh, if we go to your second year, and if you weren't tough enough, now the team adds two new guys. Actually, three. Uh, Billy Armstrong, more of a, a, a chip middleweight guy, whatever, uh, you know, but could put the puck in the net. I saw him play a lot with Albany. Uh, but Jeff Buchanan, another tough defenseman, and uh, Chuck Norris, Clayton Norris. Uh, so what was it like having those two guys on board? Well, so so uh, Army's a really neat guy, yeah. great personality, sat next to me in the dressing room, uh, gr- you know, grumpy old guy, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, really, really neat guy. I talked to him periodically, uh, super guy, but, uh, Chuck, Chuck Norris was, uh, really tough, really tough guy, but the guy that was scary, tough, Jeff Buchanan, uh, just, uh, he, another lefty, um, what's interesting about him 
is he he was the mindset of Joey Kosher mm-hmm. was like when he when he fought he was trying to punch through your face mm-hmm. and so he was a really good player really tough and really he hurt people like hurt people uh and i don't mean that like like that was that was the game you yeah. know that was part of the game that was part of it and uh he didn't fight he didn't fight a ton mm-hmm. cuz he didn't have to right like i don't know what his I, i'll be honest with you i don't know what his numbers are but mm-hmm. you know when he was in orlando he you know he was he was a good player like, he ended up playing in national hockey for colorado uh, he won a he won a call, uh, Turner Cup with Atlanta um, as a young player. He was a good hockey player, but he was he was tough. Like when he he tried he hurt people and was scary. Now I'm sure you know we talked about all the time you spent in Orlando, so I'm sure a lot of the time must blend together. But this second season, uh, as far as your numbers go, and again we talked about your stats, but I bring this up only because you're. You're a defenseman, and a lot of times for defensemen to get double digits and goals, unless you're you know playing power play, first or second power play unit, or you're on the first pair, it's not easy. And this year, aside from your, I think, team record 387 penalty minutes, you managed to put up 24 points, including 10 goals. Uh, was there something about this season that maybe everything kind of clicked for you? No, l- listen, I, I, I'll go, we'll go back to like our first early questions mm-hmm. about Brandon, my first year, the transition into Brandon, I played, I played on good teams with good players. Right. And so, um, you know, that would be the starting part of it. Um, and then as a, as a player, like when you go back, if you go back and look at my stats, you know, and I share the, I share with the kids, not, I share that with the kids that I coach now, or I've coached in the past. And I go like, Hey, look, look at my, look at the numbers in the Western hockey league, like 48 points is pretty pretty good like if you look at kids getting drafted now you're going like they're getting drafted in the first second round right and i wasn't i never got drafted and said but uh, you know at at some point in my career i was a pretty decent player you know you look at my stats in orlando or in columbus we didn't win a lot of games but if you go into like a plus minus you you read the book the outliers like i was an outlier inside that program because you know i put up numbers offensively i put up numbers in penalty minutes, but the number that's, you know, I had a dad play for me two years ago when I was coaching in the, the NCDC as the coach and general manager of a team. And the one dad came and he goes like, this, you're scary. And I'm like, why? He goes, but the most impressive thing was not only did you do X, Y, and Z, but you were a plus 25 and everyone else was minus. Yeah. And so at some point in my, at some point in my journey, I was a good hockey player. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, you know, I, again, I bought into a, I bought into a role and I was like, I got to do it. So I play, you know, again, I played with Todd Richards, ridiculous player. I played with Hugh McDonough and Mark Beaufay and Craig Fisher. And, you know, I played with just amazing people. And so when you play with amazing people, you find yourself in situations, you score goals. And the other piece is, you know, I'm not sure how many games I played forward, but I, there's times I played forward in, in, in almost every program, every place I played. Right. You know, I would play, you know, my second year in Orlando, I probably played 10 or 15 games as a forward. You know, so I was, you know, again, I, one of the things I pride myself in, I tell players like be versatile, like know all the positions, like kids don't know all the positions anymore. You know, they like, yeah. Oh, I'm a centerman. Well, guess what? The only thing a centerman does now is take face-offs. Other than that, 
you're forward, you're a defenseman, you're the first guy, you're second guy. Like the game's totally different now. So, but yeah, I mean, we did it click? You know, I guess I I was in a good spot. I, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you really the truth of it. Uh, probably what happened for me now that we're talking about it is, um, you know, I used to go back to Winnipeg and train in Winnipeg in the summertime, and so after my first year, I met my ex-wife, business lady, and she's like who do you train with? And I'll tell them who I, she, I train with. She's like, you know, she says like, do you, you know, if you got, had a hundred thousand dollars, like would you just go to stock market and invest it on your own or you call someone who's a professional. I'm like, I call someone who's a professional. She's like, well, right now it sounds like you're like not calling a professional to help you become a professional. And so I started training with some amazing people. Um, David Oliver, um, who was the strength and kitchen coach with the, um, Orlando Magic started a new business with uh, with another great spiritual leader of mine, Steve Slane, a sports-specific training group, uh, and they're still in business today and doing a lot of work with uh, the hospital there and rehab stuff. Just became my physical leaders, my spiritual leaders, my, you know, some mentors, and I just surround myself with amazing people. So I trained right, I ate right, and got healthy. And then the people I started associating, not associating with, but training with, like my workout partner, I'll just throw a name out there and I don't name, it's not to name drop. It's mm-hmm. the person I worked out with, Horace Grant, you know, yeah, six-time NBA champion, three, mm-hmm. you know, like that's who I worked out with. How about another name? Like, I don't know, Michelle Akers, like Olympic gold medalist, World Cup champion, FIFA po- female player of the year, like. I started like I get I'm, I have chills just talking about like D Brown you know I, I I could give you a list but like I'm I train every day I show up I train with Horace like he's not like we're in the gym together like mm-hmm. he and I are working out together so the quality of the people that I'm training with are off the charts and so it's and I'll never forget we had a picnic at the beginning of the year and I come back and I'm all jacked up like yoked up and again I. I never did anything illegally, never did steroid, never did anything, any kind of drugs to like enhance my performance. I just was, you know, Dave Oliver was like, no, you don't do any of that. So like we clean living and we'll, we'll get you there. And I come back and keep people are like, I'm, I show up in khaki pants and a nice golf shirt. Cause I, now I'm like, if someone came into my life and now I'm kind of a pro, like I'm kind of looking at life in a different way. And people are going like, you know, what, giving me a hard time. And Clayton Norris goes, Hey, leave, like, leave him alone. And I'm like, why? He's like, Drake, if you look like you're going somewhere, you probably are. And I I was going somewhere different because yeah. I started to become, I started to recognize myself as a business and a person that had an opportunity to play at the National Hockey League level, potentially. And I was around great people. So maybe, I mean, maybe that would be what would attribute it to that season. Well, I mean, it sounds like these are all positive changes, so it would definitely make sense. Yeah, no, I mean... Again, I, I listen. I, I I've met some incredible, incredible people in in my journey through the game, and uh, and cer- certainly that might you know the probably one of the biggest parts about about the game that you miss or I miss is the preparation and the training in the off season, and you know cer- certainly certainly getting around with Horace Grant and working out with him is you know a treat for sure. 
And I remember I went down to see Kevin Kaminsky when he was in Orlando and he took me to the fitness facility there that you guys had in Orlando. Uh, that, that especially at the time, had to be state-of-the-art. I, I don't think I had seen anything like that. And he showed me, took me around where the Magic trained and where you guys trained and stuff. So in season, the team definitely gave you all the tools to uh, maximize your potential. Right. Well, you when you – so I'll give you a great example. So, you know, now you're looking at Don Waddell, part of Detroit Red Wings, Stanley Cup champions. Um, you know, he, he goes to Detroit and he's involved in the program. And it's the Olympic year. And the, the guys that don't travel to the Olympics, they have their break. And then they went to Orlando and they used our dress room and they used our hot tub and our ice bath and our sauna and our hot steam room and the weight room. And, and the and they're, they're going – well. What's wrong? Like we're the we're the two time Stanley Cup champion. We just won the Stanley Cup, and and a minor league team setup is better, way like not better, like way better, way better than the Stanley Cup champion. Like they're like there's something freaking wrong here. Like our setup was so like they you know I always say it like you know the DeVos family, unique people, and you know the Amway people, and Mr. DeVos is an interesting person, and his you know his story was awesome, and his story after he took over the Solar Bears and his health story, like there's so many so in, such an interesting thing, but they just eliminated any excuse for failure. Like there's no excuse if you play in this environment, there's zero excuse for you not to get better. There's zero excuse for you not to have success. Yeah, I remember seeing that facility. It was it was crazy. It was unbelievable. So I'm definitely not surprised. Yes. Um, so that season, it, it a lot of times it's difficult. Uh, you're most of the time, and maybe this is what you said, where you ended up playing forward a little bit for defensemen, physical defensemen, and physical defensemen to kind of lock horns. Not always the case because of positioning. Uh, but a guy that you managed to lock horns with three times ridiculous. this season, yeah, Dar- ridiculous. Darcy Simon. Uh, yeah. Awesome fights. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, awesome fights have just ba- amazing battles and competition and, uh, you know, cra- crazy, crazy stuff. Yep. Uh, you fought Sean Penn that twice that year. I didn't see the first one, but the second one was an absolute war. Do you remember that one? Yeah. See, now we're getting into like new te- technology. So you yeah. can see online and stuff like that. Uh, again, like fought him in, in the Chicago building, Toe to toe, like just, you know, another guy that threw heavy, heavy punches and he could take them and he could distribute them, you know, equally as well. And just two, two warriors. But you know what, like what I loved about it is, and, you know, amongst guys that fought on a regular basis, you know, after it was like, Hey, how's it going? Great to see you. Like we just, you know, you have an, an appreciation or respect for each other. He was, he's one of those guys and it's actually funny. I just connected to him (laughs) Uh, via social media the other day. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, like all these people I used to fight now all of a sudden we're connecting online and Hey, how's it going? And it's like, there's like an intimate relationship. Like we know each other. And I guess in, in a weird way, we kind of know each other because we both did the same job and we both knew what it takes. You know, we both know what it takes, but yeah, he, uh, Penn and I had a couple good, really good battles uh, when he was in Chicago for sure. The, I think the reason why, you guys click is uh, you know i've been for i always say i'm fortunate you know i've met so many people through dean i've met a lot of people through you know living close to nassau coliseum that that did the role that you did but i'm still looking at it as a fan as an outsider someone like yourself and sean penn hooking up it's not a surprise because 
you you played on a team and let's just say a fraction of the team can relate to what the mental side of the game that you went through and the physical side of the game, you know, 75% of your teammates can't relate to that, but a guy like Sean Penn can absolutely relate to everything you went through. So it's sort of like a brotherhood in a way. So the fact that you guys, after you're done playing and even while you're playing where you could fight a guy three times that night. And then after the game, go have a beer with them. It's not a surprise at all because there's a mutual respect there. Plus, you're battling a guy who can relate to what your process is as a player and as an enforcer. So it's definitely not a surprise at all. Right. No, no, I agree. Listen, I agree with you. Like, you you, you connect back to those people. And, you know, you go back. We started with Kelly Chase, and I never met Kelly Chase. But a good friend of mine who I coached with in L.A., unfortunately passed in the last 24 months, Jack Bocas, mm-hmm. played with Kelly Chase. We were on the road. Kelly Chase's son's we coached again against his son. I happened to sit down in a restaurant and obviously I recognized him. It was the first time I had ever met him and I'd battled him for years and years and years and years. And like, not years, that's, that's, that's not, that's not true. Yeah, I battled yeah. when I was in the Western hockey league and, you know, always kind of had like a Kelly chase connection and never met him. And then I met him. It was like, Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, it was just, you know, when you connect with the people that you compete with and battle with, you have a total respect for them. And, but you know, and, I, and I'll say this all the, but I say this all the time. Like I can't imagine what the pressure was, the anxiety, like for me, in some ways it was not easy. Cause you're like, Oh, I got to go fight George LaRocca. You know, he's six, six, two seventy five. Like I'm the guy that's got to do it. Like I'll take care of it. You know, like that's your, your job. And so you can prepare for it. And it's, it's a, it's a, I, I can choose to or not choose to, right? And I can make it happen if I want. Mm-hmm. But I can't – goal scorer can't make it happen. Right. You know, an offensive guy, it, like, it's unpredictable. Yeah, your skill sets can make it happen. Like Todd Richards, when I watched him play, like, yeah, he made shit happen because he was that good. And he saw things that I didn't see unless I was sitting up in the stands. And then I, once I sat up in the stands, I go, oh, I see what you see. I get it. But having not having the ability to like, like that's those are un, those are not variables that are they're not the controlled variables. I had controlled variables. Like I knew if my team needed someone to fight, someone to step up, I knew who the guy to go to was. I knew where to find the fight. I knew what so I could I could determine an outcome or influence an outcome by recognizing the feel, the pace, the intensity, the energy, the in our room, on our bench, and I could go out and try and change that trajectory, that's a much easier, though you have to fight someone and you have to put yourself in danger, at least I was, mine was predictable, like I could do it. Yeah. So I have a, I have a total respect for a Hubie McDonough or a Craig Fisher or a, a, you know, a, a Dave Barr or Mark Beaufay or you know, if you, Todd Richards, you know, look at all these guys that I play with that are ridiculously talented offensive players and yada, yada, yada. Like they had a different, you know, we all have different, different stressors and mine was, mine was what it was. So uh, one guy you fought that year and I bring him up because when we go into the following year, he was your teammate for a little bit. He did a little bit of a tour that year playing with a bunch of teams. Uh, and it's someone who I love talking to. He always makes me laugh. Uh, Dave Chizowski. So I don't know if you remember fighting him. And if you don't, uh, what was it like being a teammate of his for the time he was I, in Orlando? I, where did I fight? Where, where did I fight Chizer? It was, I don't know if it was at home or in Indianapolis, but he was with the ice. 
Yeah, like so. Ch- <laughs> yeah, it's I, his. I just I was talking to my butt, an ex teammate Mark yeah. Ferner, who not you want to talk about a tough guy. Mark yeah. Ferner's tough guy too. Mark Ferner didn't fight a lot. Yeah, but he was tough. Um, yeah, Chisers, Chisers, a character. Yeah, like, there's, there's too many. Listen, there's too many. There's too many funny little stories to just yeah, to like yeah, uh, awesome, funny, just character like that. It just bring like brings a smile to your face. Interesting guy. Always, yeah, always brings a smile. Inter- interesting guy. Now he just took a job coaching in the BCHL, so I hope yep. he does well there. Yeah, yeah, Merritt Centennials. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's funny. Um, one guy I want to ask you about also from the following year, it seems like every year you kind of get a new tag team partner and in 97, 98, Orlando brought in the, the Mangler, Mel Anglestead. Uh, what was it like, uh, playing with Mel? Well, there's a guy that knew his, he knew his role, knew what he was doing. I, I, I may have fought him when he was in, um, Kalamazoo cause he, po- he played for Kalamazoo prior to that. Um, you know, he, again, he knew his role. He, he was there to do one job. He provided upfront, you know, power forward type scenario, uh, fought some big boys. You know, he was a good, good fighter. He, you know, he competed and showed up every night and, you know, got rewarded for his efforts, played in National Hockey League. I don't know how many games he ended up playing in the National Hockey League, but, you know, he fought, you know, he fought, he fought the big, ended up fighting the big boys. And that's uh, very impressive. A couple of guys that seem to appear on your fight card every year, and you don't have to uh, say anything specific about any of the fights if they don't really ring a bell, but I would imagine you have recollections of going to war against these guys. One guy is Steve McLaren, who was with the ice, and another guy is Dave Marset, who played with a bunch of teams in the IHL uh, while you were down there. Uh, you have any memories of battling those two guys? So who was the, fir- uh, um, the first one? Steve McLaren. Yeah, you know what? He... Um... He and I had, again, we're now we're later in my career, so there's technology. You can, you can watch some of these fights. He and I had some, an, another guy, heavy, heavy, heavy puncher, mm-hmm. uh, heavy punch, uh, obviously could take him. Like he and I stood in there toe-to-toe. He, he and I both weren't scared to throw him, and we weren't scared to take him. So he, we had some epic battles because of that. Yeah. Uh, honest as day is long. And, you know, those are, again, I, I was never one of those guys like trying to sucker punch you at the end of it. And, right. you know, I think that I was very fortunate because most of the guys that I fought were like that. And he was one of those guys and knew that you had to be honest every night and had to show up and, you know, play inside the rules and play, you know, take as much liberty as you can, but know that if you crossed it, he, he was going to be out there and, and, uh, Total respect for him. Total respect for him. And the other one was um, Moose Marset. Yeah. So he's another big, big man. Um, str- very strong. Um, you know, had a big person. In my opinion, had a big personality. Like tried to like influence you with like, hey, I'm big, I'm strong. Like I'm a, like. So you know, he had that personality. But again, we he and I had a couple. You know, several really good fights and. You know, again, I didn't have to go look too far to look, find, find him to fight. He was gamer every time and, um, you know, he knew his role well. Both those guys know their, knew their role well. So I thought, think I did. And, you know, when, when, when he needed to try and change the momentum of the game, he would certainly pop up over the boards in a timely manner if I was out there and vice versa. And, you know, we're always game, you know, always game. 
what was it about the Grand Rapids crest that always seemed you seemed to be in the mix? We talked about Darcy Simon the previous season. This yep. season, you had six fights against Grand Rapids, four against Matt Ruckty, and two against the Ram or Bruce Ramsey. Yeah. So you so that's a family thing, right? So you look at the ownership group. So the Orlando Solar Bears come in to play, and we're owned by Mr. the DeVos family. And uh, the Grand Rapids ownership is also tied to Amway. So it's kind of our, now it's our, we look at it as like our sister company, right? Like we're the big boys in town and there are, there are sister, sister company, right? And so we established ourselves as a winner and a champion and, and we had tremendous success. So um, they came, they came to the league with the same kind of pedigree and the same kind of, we're going to eliminate all excuses and we're going to have success there. And they brought in good, built good teams and good character people because the Voss family, that's, you know, you know, you're successful in the Van Handel family. You're not successful in business to the level they are by like accident, right? You bring good people in and certainly they had good teams and good leadership, but you know, Rammer and I, Rammer for a fighter pound for pound, probably one of the toughest guys in the league. Um, deceptively tough, deceptively tough, um, showed up all the time. And then who was, and, and he and I had some really, really, really good battles. And then who was the other one? Matt Ruckty four times that year. Yeah. Matt, Matt was a bigger guy. I, I would say, you know, uh, the Ram Ramsey fights were probably more, more intense and more yeah. like, yeah, I, I would, I would say when you're looking at from a standpoint of like, if you make a mistake, he could hurt you, yes. you know, um, you know, I probably wouldn't say I wouldn't probably feel the same thing about Matt, but even though we fought every night and again, all these people were talking about, they all know the roles and they know why they're there. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, but the, yeah, I mean, I, the, the Grand Rapids competition battle was, you know, that's a sibling rivalry. Yeah. And then you got to also remember, you know, at the time our coach is Kurt Fraser. So that rivalry means a lot because, you know, he represents the DeVos, we represent the DeVos family and we're, we're, we're it. So we're not going to take second fiddle to anybody else. So that's, you know, that would be in my opinion, what it is. So after a successful run with Orlando, uh, you find yourself signing with the Detroit Red Wings. How did that come about? How did you end up on their radar? Uh, Don Waddell. So yeah. the year before that, Don Lee's, uh, John Weisbrock comes in, takes over as general manager. Don Waddell goes, to Detroit as assistant general manager for one year and wins a Stanley cup in Detroit. And then t- goes on to take, um, take the job in Atlanta. And, you know, certainly, you know, guessing Don had, you know, talked about Adirondack and bringing me in and running, running. And I wouldn't imagine that. I would imagine that probably during the, during the time that he was with Detroit, probably was trying to potentially trying to get me. I don't know if that's true or not, or factual or not. I had that, the year before I signed in Detroit, I had an opportunity to go to Calgary's farm team at the trade deadline and chose not to go. And, um, but you know, I was fortunate. I had a relationship with John Weisbrot. I said, like, here's the deal they want to do. And do you want to go? And I'm like, well, if they want to sign me, sure. If they don't, I, you know, I'm going to stay here. I want to finish yeah. the job. So, uh, I, I, I would probably think that Don's influence influenced that situation, uh, uh, with me end up going there. And then the second part of it is, is at uh, Detroit had, some younger players there. They wanted to bring in some older players, Doug Hoodham, myself, um, 
Barry Potomsky was there and, you know, different people. So they tried to bring in some veteran leadership there to, to strengthen the team, but they had, they had success the year before too. So, um, yeah, great, great opportunity for me. And, uh, at a training camp, thought I had a good training camp. Certainly was the year Scotty Bowman was with, was sick or wasn't at training camp and had a really good training camp, played two games with Detroit and, um, Got an assist in Joe Lewis Arena. I went back and threw a puck off the boards, and fortunate enough, one of the best players in the world at the time, Sergei Fedorov, decided to pick it up and do something magical and give it to someone on the back door to score a goal. So, you know, good good memories and uh, some awesome stories. Awesome stories for sure. So, uh, I guess in that camp, it was probably probably would have been like Potomsky, like you said, and. Uh, I don't know if like Martin Latra or Ryan Tobler were there, but uh, uh, Joe Koser and Darren McCarty were probably in camp, right? Yeah. So Joey Kosher and my brother played together in Saskatoon. Not that that meant anything. Right. Uh, certainly well aware of who Joey Kosher is. I watched him play with my brother and then obviously he's a legend in the national hockey league. So, uh, he, you know, he's a guy that hurt. He's a guy that hurts people for real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there, I guess this is a two-sided question. So you're signing with an NHL team who's not very physical on defense, but I believe they're also the Stanley Cup champions. So I don't know what the odds were that you would make the team. And even though you said, and you said you had a really good camp. And now if you don't make the team, you're going to Adirondack now. And and you had just spent five or six seasons, seven seasons between San Diego and Orlando. Now you're going back to to ride in the buses and playing in the American League. Was was that a difficult decision for you to make? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the the reality of it is, and it's a, it was a you know again my peer group you know which we've talked about today from Brandon and different things you know and and, and you like why would you sign with Detroit like well one they're the team that offered me a contract so. <laughs> I'm going to take an NHL contract. Right. So, you know, I looked at, at that point after training with professionals and champions and whatever, I was like, you, <laughs> I got to give myself a chance. So you got to sign with somebody to get a chance. Right. Cause there's always, there's eight, six defense and seven defense and eight defensemen on every team in the minor leagues that are getting a chance before you as an independent player are going to get a chance in national hockey. So you got to sign an NHL contract to get a chance. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's the first side of it. The second side of it is if you look at Detroit, and now, and that's, and I'll use the comparison when Atlanta thrashers the following year, I had a better chance. I had a better chance of making the Stanley cup champion Detroit Red Wings than I did the expansion draft Atlanta thrashers. And my one, one game that I played exhibition for the thrashers, I, so I scored, I scored the first goal in Atlanta thrasher history. Oh wow! Okay. So I had so in that I in, I had a goal, I had a fight, and I was plus three. Wow. Okay. I knew about the fight. I didn't know about the goal or the plus. Right. So I had a goal and a fight, and I was plus three. I had zero chance at the, after the game that I played in Columbus, Columbus Gazette, because mm-hmm. I ended up playing there. But the the question was po- proposed to Don Waddell was like. Tom, what what do you think the chances of Barry Dreger scoring the first goal in Thrasher history? And Don's response was, what was the chance of Barry Dreger playing in the first game? Ooh. Right. And so I took it I took it just like you did. Yeah. Uh, as a, like a kind of pissed me off to be yeah. honest with you. Um 
And and, they, and 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 again, I know Don. He wasn't he wasn't trying to be rude or malicious. Right. Or it was just like, you know, he was probably shocked, right? Um, as I, as as I was, I was yeah. like over the moon. Um, so, so the answer going back to the Detroit thing was, I, I had a better chance of making the Red Wings because I, again, we talk about the, through the whole conversation was, I had an identity. I knew what I could, you know, I knew what I brought to the table. I knew the role I would play. Like I wasn't going to the Detroit Red Wings to be an offensive guy. Like I was going there to be like a sixth defenseman, a seventh defenseman, you know, be a prick to play against, you know, Mm -hmm. take care of business if it needed to be taken care of. And I, I, you know, in my opinion, I, you know, I had a legit chance to make that team. Mm -hmm. Did, uh, Did you ever come close to getting a call up that you know of? I, uh, there's two two scenarios. I got sent down. I met with uh, Dennis Holland. Dennis Holland said, "Listen, because I was I was originally supposed to stay. They're like, hey, you made it through this cut, whatever. And then I went to the rink the next day, and my bag was missing. And they go, you gotta go see Dennis. And I was like, uh, or Ken, not Dennis, Ken. So I went and talked to Ken, and Ken's like, hey, listen, sometimes it's better to be lower on the totem pole we got to give an opportunity to these other kids that we have that were drafted and this and that but you know you're you're certainly on our radar and you're you know you're someone that we're gonna keep a close eye on so i left for adirondack pulled into adirondack and glenn murkowski was like don't unpack i'm like what do you mean he's like um i forget who it was the guy ended up playing for uh carolina won a stanley cup as a defenseman um Anyways, someone yeah. got hurt. Somebody got hurt. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I think you may be going back up. I'm oh, like, okay. Chase on maybe? Steve Chase on? No, no, no. no. Uh, wore number four. I think he wore number four or 27. Uh, he did color on – he did some co- uh, TV analyst stuff. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So that was – that that was and I ended up not going back. And, you know, there's some Steve Eiserman stories there that I heard through the grapevine. Like, you know, basically get your shit together because there's someone – they're fucking going to keep it, you know, they're, they want to bring up, but like mm-hmm. you're here. So, um, so I don't know. I don't know. That's hearsay. And then right. the second time was Christmas break. Uh, I decided to go drive into the city for Christmas break. We had three or four days off and it was, that was the beginning early stages. I learned a lesson Christmas break and went to the city, no cell, you know, just the beginning of cell phones, didn't really have a cell phone, didn't give anybody any information about, hey, I'm going to be in the city, here's where you could reach me, and uh, they called Doug Huda up, and uh-huh. su- supposedly, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it's true or not, but could have been, could have, could have, could have, would have. I didn't like where this story was headed when you started it, I had a feeling I knew how it ended. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's it, every TikTok's a great video. Like TikTok, I, I watch TikTok for a little bit every day, a little bit. And today's message was, you know, basically, don't worry about stuff. Like you don't fuck things up. Mm-hmm. What's meant to happen happens. So like, don't stress about it and don't yeah. have anxiety about it. Like, you know, I I've I've claimed this. I'm gonna win a Stanley Cup someday. Just not, I just haven't won it yet. And so that opportunity is going to happen. And so I don't do it as a player. Maybe I do it as a player development guy, or maybe I do it in some different capacity, but at some point I'll be involved in some program in the national Hockey league level. And we'll, you know, we'll win a Stanley cup. I love it. I love that. So go to uh, Adirondack. Now, 
the past six, seven years, you're kind of battling the same group of guys. Now you're back. You're back in the jungle of the American League with all these young, hungry lions. Uh, you mentioned George LaRock. You got Reed Lowe in Worcester. Uh, Paul Ferrone in Syracuse. I think a real underrated, tough guy. Uh, Peter Worrell is in New Haven. Eric Bolton's in Kentucky. Uh, and there's a guy in Albany who I don't know the whole story, but I read somewhere that Rob Skurlak, uh came off the bench to fight you uh, one game. Is that true? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's The article kind of said it, like it wasn't – I don't think it was during a, during the play because that happens all the time. It kind of gave me the impression that he left the bench to fight you, but maybe that was wrong. I don't remember that. I, I well, I'll tell, I'll, I'll share with you the stories that I that I remember. So my first game, uh, one of my first games in, again, now we got technology. Uh, if you want, I, I I would say one of the best, my best, one of the best fights, one of my top five fights was against Reed Lowe. That was uh, excellent. Yeah, and it's probably that's. Within the first five games of me being in that, maybe the first game, I don't even remember exactly, but early, early when I signed with Detroit, uh, all you know, a lot of the, you know, uh, Mark, uh, not Mark, uh, yeah, Mark Howe's in town, uh, Jimmy Nils in town. Like, it, there's plenty people that they're, they're in town, right? And I'm like, okay, tonight's the night. Like, so he and I go, he, you know. I, 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 it was a great fight. Mm-hmm. He, we landed bombs and we, we both hit each other. I would, you know, humbly, I'd say like, I think he probably ended up being, being a, come out on top of it. But I go into the room after and they're going like, that was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and so, so that's a very memorable encounter. And, and, um, Reed Lowe's a tough guy. Reed Lowe's a tough guy. Really that, tough. That was really your tough. second fight that game. Oh, was well, who did I fight before that? You fought Topper's brother, Shane Toporowski. Oh, I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I only remember one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the one with with Lowe was excellent, and I encourage everybody to check it out on YouTube. That was uh, that was a slugfest. Yeah, I was good. I was, uh, you know, I, he, the fact that he, no surprise that he made it to National Hockey League and did the job at that level. He was a big human, you know, super guy. He was part at that when I was in the in the uh, IHL in the American Hockey League. I was part of the PHPA, and mm-hmm. as as was he. So we did our yearly meetings, and like again, you had com- you know you had common ground and had friendships, and you know we we became you know friends and and uh, respected each other. It was that was I was uh, yeah that was good. So late in the season, um, the rare interleague trade was uh, was happened. I don't know if it's officially a trade or if you were loaned somewhere and someone came back. Uh, how did it go that you ended up back with Orlando uh, for their playoff run and Kirby Law came the other way to Adirondack? Right. Well, it's interesting is my roommate at the time was uh, John Coleman, who was a high draft pick for um, for the Red Wings, mm-hmm. third rounder. Um, I'm not sure if he was a Harvard kid. Anyways, he was top, real good player, uh, ed- highly educated, wasn't happy. Uh, I was actually in conversation. I'm not sure if it was that trip or a trip earlier in the year or just around that time coming up the trade deadline. I received a phone call from John Weisbrod. He was inquiring about John Coleman. And, you know, I was like, ah, you know, I shared what I thought and yada, yada, yada. Coleman ended up going there the following year, a couple years later, winning a, a Turner Cup with Orlando. Um but on the deadline, I, we 
leave it. We leave Glens Falls and arrive in Rochester, get off the bus, and I get off the bus, and they're like, um, "Yeah, you're going back to Orlando, where we made a a trade for Kirby. You know, we switched places and whatever." And it was it was interesting. I went back to Orlando, and it was um, it was interesting. Uh, they had a good team, and uh, John White he made. To, they brought in five, six, seven guys like at the deadline. He brought in a ton of guys, and I was one of the guys that uh, he brought back. And I, I wasn't in the line. Like I was, I wasn't wasn't in the lineup. You know, when we started the playoffs that year, um, we I forget who we played, but I wasn't in the lineup, and I had to fight to get back in the lineup. And then it was that was a, mem- a memorable run because we were down three zero to. Uh, Detroit in the conference final, we ended up coming back and four and beating them in in their building, and uh, it was pretty pretty special moment. Pretty special moment. The um, the podcast you alluded to earlier, the Orlando podcast, I listened to that one, and I I think this was the playoff run where you had mentioned uh, sort of like something that brought the boys together was uh, I think I, you all shaved your heads. Is, uh, do I have that correct? Yeah, it was, well, yeah. So we uh, we leave we leave. So the story ends up, so we're in game seven and we, they're like, listen, boys, like you win this game, the, we're getting the private jet. The magic carpet was taken. So we're like, you're getting the other Amway private jet, which has beds in it and all. And we're like, well, okay. And uh, so we end up winning it and like, we're getting undressed and they're like, yeah, the, it's fueling up in guns fall or, uh, at, or, um, in Green, uh, um, Grand Rapids, and it's coming over, and so we fly into Houston, and we play the first. We play the first. I can't remember the details of it, but the long and the short of it was my roommate at the time, and I terrible. I forget what his name is. Um, is like, I go to a movie, and my I've grown my hair out, and I'm look. You know, I'm like, remember we start at the beginning, like tough guy, yeah. fighters. I guess so I had has all GQ'd up and my hair is long and I never had long hair in my life. And it was like, oh, this is awesome. And, and so the deal was that bunch, I come back to my room and there's like a pile of hair at the end of the bed and everyone's in there shaving their heads. And I'm like, oh my, this is my worst nightmare. Like I don't want to shave my head. Like it's got my flow the way, the, to the length I want. I don't want to shave my head. Are you kidding me? Like that's not happening. And I'm like, oh my God. But, you know, as a team player and whatever, you're like, okay, I'm going to sign Sure, sign up. So I almost, I think almost everybody shaved their head. So we go to the game, we go to the rink after, we already played one game. We go to the rink and shave head. Kurt Frazier's going like, what's wrong with you guys like, that's not fair no it's wrong he's like that's awesome yeah, yeah. like you know but again he's going you guys what's wrong with you yeah. so then it, then his next thing is here's the other guy you guys win game two he goes i'll let you shave my head well that's all we needed like, oh my god so, so after game two we literally in there middle of dress room shaving his head and uh Pete Horchuk was getting married, so he couldn't get his hair. We're like, we're, we're getting your hair next. It was, it was awesome. Like, it was great. You know, like, those are the things that you remember and you bring your team teammates together and you share the story because it was awesome. And that, that was that was how Kurt was. Kurt was such a great leader that way in regards to being knowing what bringing a team together and what it would mean to, to, the, to the boys and whatever. So I think we won game two and we came back home and lost game three. 
Um, and I think we lost game. I think we lost game three and four. Um, and one of those two games, Bill Hewitt sucker punched me and I was knocked me out. I remember being in a penalty box. Not, I didn't even know who I was. I don't even know how I got across the ice. Um, and uh, I remember being in, I vaguely, I remember it, but I don't sitting there and just clueless and Fraz going like, I would have bet all the money I own that you guys would have come out and just destroyed them. And we lost like seven, one or like by a big number. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was good. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good story. Good, good stuff. Good times. So the following year you, you had mentioned earlier, you ended up in Atlanta in Thresher's tr- uh, training camp. You had uh, spoken about how that went. Uh, but when you get to training camp, uh, and no surprise, a Kurt Fraser team. Uh, I believe all these guys are in training camp with you, uh, led by Matt Johnson, uh, Denny Lambert, Kelly Buckberger, Chris Tamer, and uh, Roman Ender. Now, Tamer and Ender would be, I guess, the important guys for you because those would be guys that you would be sort of battling with as your all defenseman. But uh, were all those guys in training camp that year? Yeah, everybody. Buckberger was there. He became captain. Tamer, yeah. Chris Tamer was there. Yeah, everybody. The Moose was there. Um you know, you look at like I go back to it, like greater chance to make it to like a Stanley Cup championship team than that, because at the time and the, the expansion draft is so so much different now, in my opinion. Um, lot of lot of lot of role players, you know, like a lot of people role players. So you like you said, you had two or three guys on the back end that could do my job, and you had two or three guys up front that could do my job. And you know, like my fatal mistake was if I would have signed. If I would have signed a three-year contract with the Detroit Red Wings, the two-time Stanley Cup Detroit Red Wings, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I, I don't lose sleep over it. But right. if I was if I was under contract with the Red Wings, you know, who knows? Maybe I get picked up. An ex- I don't know what the rules were at that time, but sure, certainly would have been. Hey, we traded for up-and-coming player from the Red Wings. You know, like you you don't know how it shakes out. But I would have certainly maybe entered at a different spot and different opportunity there. But like zero zero chance of making that team. So when you go down to Orlando after that, uh, one of the guys that you end up playing with at some point that year was Bill Heward. Uh Did you have the conversation about the sucker punch the year before? Yeah, you know what? I don't remember if we ever. Yeah. I, listen, I don't. Yeah. Bill, Billy and I talk all the time. Yeah. I, I lived in California and. Uh, you know, we're friends and, and, and super teammate, great guy. Uh, not, you know, it's one of those things I don't think we've ever talked about. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that, you know, I don't know what his interpretation of it was or my interpretation of all I know is Dave Lippman was went insane and went out and attacked them and, and was crazy. And, you know, it was just chaotic. So, you know, I never, I don't think we ever had the conversation about it. Uh, one of your teammates that year, and I ask you about him because I remember him from when he when he played with Albany. But as I interview more and more players, guys that played with him and then later played for him, just speak about Jordy Kinnear in such glowing terms. Uh, just as a player's coach, you know he expects every you know whatever he can get out of you, but just. Everybody basically says the same thing about Jordy Kinnear. And as you're playing with him, can you tell that, you know, he had the kind of makings of someone that would go into coaching and, and uh, have so much, you know, uh, get so much respect from his players? Yeah, I'm not surprised by it. Uh, yeah. Obviously, when he came, you know, again, I, in my opinion, Jordy had, it was tough for Jordy. Not tough for him to come to our team, but, you know, he came over with John Widebrod. They won championships over in, in Albany together. Jordy was a captain over there. So, you know, John, as the new GM, brought people in from his from his past that he 
valued and respected and appreciated. And Jordy was certainly one of those guys. I mean, obviously a professional showed up every day and competed and battled and was a good leader, but you know, he, you know, he came into a, a organization that was well-established with really good leadership with, you know, Hubie McDonough and, and uh, actually Hubie retired that year, but like Todd Richards and, and different people. And I, in, in my opinion, you know, maybe, maybe, I think it was maybe a little bit hard, and maybe maybe that's just my own perspective. Maybe it wasn't hard for him at all because he it's four good, o'clock because he's such he's such a good good leader and uh, you know good guy. Obviously, he's been had a tremendous success as a coach, and I'm not surprised by it because mm-hmm. he competed and showed up every day and uh, was a great teammate. It just that that was a for me an interesting time because that was kind of the beginning of me probably ending my time in in orlando and uh john going to starting to go in a different direction and and find different people and he was only there five games but i have to ask he's one of my favorite players ever a uh, good friend of mine uh do you have any memories of playing with the killer kevin kaminsky yeah so i so kevin kaminsky and i obviously Kevin and I played together in Orlando, obviously, and then we played against each other when he was in Saskatoon. So, and then this whole group that we talk about, Cam Brown and Jeff Rogers, uh, you know, this whole, Kevin Chevrolet, like we're all connected together. So Killer is one of the most amazing people and great guys and best teammates you'll ever have. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, you know, at his size and the way he played, he suffered concussions and, you know, had some, you know, side effects and issues with it. So, um, he, he, he traveled the hard road, my friend, he, uh, great player, scored goals, competed, battled, fought everybody. Uh, you know, you talk about a warrior per person that went through it. There's a guy that went through it. So yep. he's doing very well in the Saskatchewan junior hockey league now coaching in, I don't know where, where is he? He's in La Ranch. La Ranch. La Ranch. Yep. I knew, I knew it. I just I didn't want to mess up the words. So he's yep. coaching La Ranch and doing very well. Doing very well. Um, how did you end up with Houston the following year? Dave Barr. So, okay. so Dave Barr and I sat together in the dressing room. Uh, Dave took over as coach and general manager there, and you know we. So at the end of the year, uh, we lost to Cleveland in the first round, uh, and so John, again John Weisbrod being a a, a a Harvard guy, an educated guy. Uh, and a you know business guy you know was right at the time he was running RDV Sports, you know we had exit meetings like everybody does. Kind of was like how you know again there's there's no excuse for losing. Like we have no excuses. We have best players. We got a big payroll. We got great you know we had great depth you know and you know that was a that was a year I wasn't in that I didn't play in like I played. We we won the first round. It was a best of five I believe. I missed the first game or second game, um, and then I got put into the lineup, and then it was kind of in and out of the lineup, I believe. And uh, we lost to Cleveland in the second round. And Pete Horchuk was the head coach that year. Hubert McDonough was assistant coach. Uh, Jimmy Hughes, which the Hughes brothers that are in National Hockey, he was the coach. The def- so it was a whole new staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the year, it was like, we've had tremendous success here. Why, why didn't we have success now? Mm-hmm. 
And so I think we got to that point where people started saying like, Hey, we, we got, we're going with younger people. We're going to, you know, the Atlanta thrashers were our affiliate. Like maybe some of the old guard has to leave. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know what that dynamic was. You know, I think, you know, I think for, it was time for me to leave just cause you know, I established myself as part of the community and the fabric and, you know, it was going to be hard to navigate around me. And, you know, not that I bumped heads with Jimmy, but, you know, there was times where I didn't think I, I should have played or didn't play. And he, you know, he played Jordy ahead of me or played mm-hmm. Ed Campbell ahead of me and stuff like that. So there was maybe a little bit of friction. So it was time for me to leave. And, you know, it turned out I had one of my best years and, uh, you know, probably, you know, it was my, my, my year in Houston was probably statistically my best year and played in a lot of situations and was a leader there and it was good. It was a good, good time. Good, good space. Yeah, 80 games, uh, 27 points, 7 goals, uh, 235 penalty minutes. And you had a little help, as always. Uh, again, IHL, tough league. Uh, I think Rudy Poshek, that was one of his final years. What was it like yeah. playing with someone like Rudy who had been through all the wars at the NHL level? Rudy is an in- interesting individual. Um, very interesting. Um, you know, again, at the end of his career, pro- you know, probably... You know, this pro, you know, just, you know, play at that highest level and mm-hmm. probably was just, you know, kind of winding it down. A super yeah. good teammate and whatever, but was, you know, you get to the, you come to the end, maybe you're not as dialed in as you, as right. you once were. And, and uh, certainly, you know, when you go down a league, you're like, ah, I'm going to want to fight certain X, Y, and Z. So you, you know, you're, I get it. At the end of my yeah. career, I got, went to Columbus and played out my last year as a player assistant and, you know, it was kind of like, I don't want to fight every night. So, okay, I'm not going to fight every night. You know, I finally went. I'm, I'm, now I'm going to choose when I, when I do it. Maybe he got to that spot too. So, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Rudy Postcheck, a legend in the National Hockey League, fought all the big guys, big guy, you know, tough kid. But, you know, he had a couple, he fought, um, he had a couple big tilts against Orlando. Um, kid that ended up playing for the Thrashers. Is that uh, Hordachuk? Darcy Hordachuk, yeah. Yep. So had a couple of good fights with Darcy. I fought Darcy a couple of times and you know, so a couple of good battles for sure. When you played with Rudy, I know uh, throughout his career, one of the things that seemed like every, the two things everyone would talk to Rudy about in interviews would be his fighting and his cooking. Did you uh, happen to indulge in any of his cooking? Apparently he was no. quite the chef. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, did, see? I did not know that at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, no? so if you run into him, he's got to cook for you. <laughs> so I, last time I heard he was, I thought he was back in Tampa and he was running a car dealership or own car dealership. Is that not true? That I don't know. I, okay. uh, I used to see Rudy all the time when he would come to the Island, but then, you know, as guys retire and if they're, you know, especially now, if they're not on social media, uh, very difficult to, uh, to locate. So that I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy you played with another tough defenseman, the Sandman, Terrence Sandwith. That I, that he, I played with. Yeah, wasn't he on Car- Houston? Sandwith. Yeah. So he did he. What was his journey? His journey. He played in Brandon too. I think after I played in Brandon. He played. Uh, yeah, he's a Western Leaguer. He played yeah. some games in Edmonton. Uh, played yep. in the American League with St. John's. Yep. Um, you know, with St. John's had I think Terry Ryan, Sean Thornton was was there. Physical defenseman. You know, I don't. He's not a heavyweight, but he would fight. But played physical. Yeah, he was he is a big long lanky guy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, again, you look at Houston and we had like, so I, I obviously I had my best year. I don't think I had, I don't know what my penalty minutes were that year. I, you know, I, Dave Barr was like, Barry, like you're a better player than you don't need to fight every night. Like I need you on the ice. You know, you can, so Dave Barr was kind of like the first guy in my pro career. Fortunately, it was at the end of my career was like, Trey's like, you can play power, some power play and, you know, put me, gave me some leadership role and gave me an opportunity to be a leader. And so I didn't have to do that as much. Right. Um, you know, but we had Greg Walters and we had Rudy and we had myself and we, you know, we had, you know, Lane Lambert to coach with the Islanders. Lane Lambert was a tough kid, pretty tough guy. He didn't fight a lot, but mm-hmm. he could throw him. Like we, we actually, uh, we were a pretty tough team there too. Like, so it was like at the end of my career in, especially in that situation, it was like, you know, kind of, we did it by committee and it wasn't just me anymore. It was, and it was never just me, but it was, you know, you just had the game start change a little bit back then. Well, Sam only was with you guys for 14 games. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he was hurt or if he ended up going somewhere else, but you did mention someone who was going to be last on my list and he was last because uh, I'm, I love Greg Walters and, uh, I haven't spoken to him in years, but, uh, I was a monster fan of his and I got to know him pretty well. And, uh, he's a pretty intense guy. What was it like playing with Wally? Yeah. Well, he's a funny guy, yeah. big, big man, huge arms, just to walk around the rink with no shirts on, <laughs> especially when I play, I got, I'm going to intimidate you. I got, I got these big pythons and great guy. He's, you know, he and Dean, you know, remind me a lot of each other. They got a very similar personality. They're just big, larger in life people. Great personality. Uh, enjoy life. Great, great teammate. You know, and then Wally and I fought, I think, a couple times. But, you know, another guy showed up, battled every day, and and, and was, you know, was awesome. You know, awesome. When, when you were in Houston that year, um, and I don't even mean fighting guys on Orlando, but for someone who spent so much time in Orlando – especially going into Orlando. And again, you talk about you sign where you play and where you played is where you played. But was it even a little weird the first time you played against Orlando? And I don't know if that was at home or on the road where you're playing against the team that, you know, you played for what, six, seven years. Was it a little weird? Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. And, and Moon or Cray, uh, Scott Moon, who was the equipment guy, mm-hmm. you know, I go back into Orlando. I wore Number twenty three was my number when I played there, and so I, I, I know in training camp for sure. I'm not sure if Darcy Hordachuk wore twenty three when he was there, but in training camp we played exhibition games in Houston. Very strange, very strange. And um, Hordachuk was wearing twenty three. Scott Moon did it on purpose, like, oh, gonna just fuck with your brain, Drager. <laughs> uh, so Mooner was great, and it was awesome. Um, and we're nearing the end, and Barry Rook basically around three hours right now recorded. I really appreciate your time. We got one more year to talk about here. Um, how'd you end up with the uh, Columbus Cottonmouths? Well, it's in, so that whole situation. So I could assign, actually I could. So how that happens is Houston becomes affiliated with, well, the long and short story of it is Minnesota and Houston become, they have an affiliation agreement. Dave Barr is, he he's acting general manager and coach at that time. And Minnesota comes in and they're like, they're coming to watch me and I play terrible. And he's like, what happened to you? Like to watch you play. So anyways, they ended up going and they signed a guy that had played there earlier. And so I kind of was like, 
locked. I didn't really have a place to go. And so I was, he wanted me to sign a two-way deal to go back down to the East Coast. And I was like, nah, not happening. Um, actually, that happened next year. But so Kevin Cheveldayoff, who I played with and played for and all these different stories, um, was part of a deal where Columbus was like they wanted to bring me in and they brokered a deal with Chicago Wolves to be able to play down there. And so they I brought me in as a player assistant type scenario. Um, and um, so it was, it was, it, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of came together in a weird, weird kind of way for me. It was, I was looking at it as an option, you know, for me, it's like, I wanted to get into coaching. I wanted to start to try and figure out how to transition into like life after hockey. And, and uh, for me, it was, you know, an opportunity to go down and, and try and f- find a small community and, and, you know, kind of what I did in Orlando and, and build a reputation and, and a quality of life and for, you know, my family and different things at the time. And, uh, I got down there and there was a guy there by the name of Jerome boom, boom, Bouchard who forever. And he still lives there and ran the team for many years afterwards and coached. And, you know, he was, he was mayor of Columbus and still Mm -hmm. is. And so someone already got there and, and, and beat me to the punch. And, uh, it was good. It was good people. Awesome people. The, the, um, uh, Shelby, Shelby and uh, Wanda Amos, who were part of the um, Aflac people, uh, uh, owned the team and uh, just amazing people. And it was it was a it was a good it was a good year. I enjoyed the transitioning into coaching and being part of this kind of trying to help coach and mentor start mentoring people. And it was good. Yeah, it was good. Well, the two people I wanted to ask you about one was Jerome Bouchard. You know, basically East Coast Hockey League legend, Columbus legend, like you said. Uh, another guy is a guy who spent some time here with the Islanders, uh, a massive human being, and that's Mitch Fritz. I think you got him when he was, uh, you had him down there when he was pretty young. Uh, what are your recollections of Mitch? Yeah, big, long, big, long, powerful man. Didn't skate well at the time. Um, you know. The fact that he played in the National Hockey League is unbelievable, like literally unbelievable. But he, his size and his strength, uh, he you know he dominated people. He could dominate people. Um, so, not surprised. Just a big human being. Long, long, long strokes could hurt people, for sure. Now, did you find yourself in a position maybe similar to Rudy Poshek the year before where Rudy Poshek's down in the IHL after his career in the NHL? Maybe he's a target for some of the younger guys. And now you're a guy with the reputation coming down, fighting guys like Eric No and uh, David Bell a couple times each. Did you feel like maybe guys wanted to use you uh, to help build their reputation? Yeah, pro- yeah like, likely. But for me, it's like when I got there, I, you know, obviously my – you know, for me, that I, I knew where I was in my career, so it's kind of like I'm going to pick and choose where and what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you know, yeah, probably a lot like Rudy. It was kind of like, eh, not interested in doing that anymore. I'm not going to do that. You know, and uh, but, finally that year, you did end up getting back up uh, to the American League. That year, you played two games with Chicago. Uh, fought a guy named Jonas Anderson. I can't imagine that he knew what he was doing. Uh, do you remember that one? Your last fight in the American League. Who? 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 Where did he play? <laughs> he play for? He was either Milwaukee. Yeah, or... Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I'm gonna be honest with you. Coming back into that dressing room, and again, I for many years we'd like Penner, like the the, the Wolves. I had many, many, many amazing interactions. Like 
like you're talking about legends of the game. I fought LC Cord my the first year in their existence. Like yeah. I, I fought LC Cord. Like are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so going into the dresser room in Milwaukee and like Rob Brown, like I used to like abuse Rob. Like not I shouldn't say I used to like I I was hard and heavy on it. He hated playing against me. I hated him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going into that dressing room was kind of weird for me, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, and and actually playing, it was you know the the adjustment. It was hard to get back to that level. It was you know a big difference in in level playing. I do not remember fighting that game. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, it doesn't. Other, seem like other than fighting the puck and my yeah. lack of ability. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I want to leave you with some numbers here, and then I want to ask you what you've been up to since you retired, and you've already mentioned uh, the coaching thing, but I want to see if you want to uh, give more information on, on that. Uh, so we're going to just talk about some of your numbers. Like I said, when I let off, 3,277 career professional penalty minutes, again, equals to 54 and a half full games, full 60-minute games. Uh, you are uh, Columbus chill. You're the all time penalty minute leader for Columbus chill, 663 penalty minutes in only 94 games. Second on that list is Mark Cipriano, well over a hundred penalty minutes behind you. Um, all time leader in penalty minutes for the Orlando solar bears. No surprise there. 1,406 penalty minutes in 307 games. Number two, way, way behind you. Chuck Norris at 639. Your fifth all time in penalty minutes for San Diego. 117 games, 383 penalty minutes. And in the history of the International Hockey League, your ninth all-time in penalty minutes, 2,024 penalty minutes. So I'm not going to ask you what that means. To me, what it means is you're a guy who did the job, went to war for his teammates, and in order to put up numbers like that, you had to play for a pretty long time. And for me, it's not just that you stayed there because you could fight. Because if you couldn't play the game, you wouldn't have been there long enough to put up those kind of numbers. Well, it's, uh, uh, again, the the opportunity to play the game of hockey as a youth and then be able to go on and play Tier 1 junior hockey and then play pro hockey at, you know, all basically all <laughs> Three levels and the three exhibition, three exhibition games I played in Nash Hockey League, obviously a highlight and a treat of my life, and winning a Calder Cup with Chicago, even though I, you know, was was an awesome experience and being able to be a witness to it and be involved in it and memories that I'll never, you know, never ever forget and, you know, basically the journey, the journey, the journey that I was on is magical. Uh, you know, met person I ended up marrying and and having children with and 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 then meeting amazing people both in the game and then not in the game but surrounding the game is just to, just a total privilege and, and I feel very fortunate and blessed every day that that I had that opportunity and you know I wish more people could could in uh, have the experience I was just watching there was a thing on TV with Penn State coming out and the fans they're coming out of the tunnel and I'm like that's got to be an amazing feeling like coming out of Penn state or Ohio state or, you know, all, you know, these top schools. And I'm like, I'm just going like, that's unbelievable. And then I'm like going to my mind, like, I, I kind of, like, I know what, not kind of, I know what that's like, but like 50, 60, 70, 80,000 fans coming out of the big house. Like that's gotta be amazing experience. And I know what it's like. So totally and completely blessed by, by, by my fortunes and um, 
really grateful for the for the ride and try try to pass it forward and give it on to other people as I move forward. But I, I um, very humbled that I that I did what I did for sure. Uh, so what have you done since retiring? I know you're involved. I know you've coached several youth teams, and uh, I think you're involved in uh, at least one business or a couple of businesses. So you have anything that you want to promote? Well, right now I'm currently involved in youth hockey in New Jersey. I'm running a uh, youth hockey program, uh, ProTech Ponds, or uh, in in New Jersey. So it's a program we're trying to take from a AA program and get involved more in AAA. And so I'm coaching our U16 elite team, which is a hybrid team. And now we're competitive and trying to use my experience to help move them forward. And you know, my big zest in life, the things that I like to, like to do, what I get most. What I get most excited about is mentoring and helping people grow and develop through life. We Right now we're dealing with so many kids that are lost and struggling with anxiety and depression and, you know, they're just lost. So I love mentoring people and trying to help them, um, you know, deal, deal with life pressures and stresses. Uh, and I use the using the platform of hockey, but also using you know, different platforms. I'm involved in a, you know, a company called Inside Edge Sports Pro- Promotions that's uh, about mentoring players and trying to help find them um, uh, a path through um, through using the sport. Uh, not everyone's fortunate enough to play at the elite level or play in National Hockey League or Division One college, but if you want to play college hockey, there's a, there's a place for you to play college hockey, whether it's Division One or Division Three NCAA. Uh, if not, there's amazing club sport hockey, D1, D2, D3 that's out there. And everyone who has a passion and a love for the game um, should pursue it because there is an expiration date on it. Uh, before beer league, there's an expiration date on it. And if you go to a college and play college sports at whatever level, it's an amazing experience that Jer- Jersey does a lot for you and I'm excited about it. So I, I, I enjoy mentoring people and, uh, other than that, just trying to keep keep myself on the right tracks and uh, trying to trying to be a positive influence in people's lives. And now I'm rambling on like I do, so <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So I, again, uh, I'm fortunate to use the sport to my advantage and help kids and parents and families grow and develop. So Barry, I, I, I always end the interviews like this. Uh, I always ask people the first question about when they were younger, and uh, the last question I always ask is. Uh, did I forget anything? A, a player like yourself, you had such a, a long, distinguished career, and a lot of stuff, you know, maybe wasn't available to me on video or in articles. So, uh, did I forget anything about your career that you would like to talk about? Um, not you know, not necessarily. I, 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 I think the biggest message that I would like to share with people is, you know, we've lost our ways in regards to teaching our kids the value of earning the next opportunity. And, you know, the game's change in the process of getting, being successful has changed. You know, when I grew up in Winnipeg, I used to go over to an Aqua community club at 315 or 320 when the bell would ring at, you know, at John Bellevue or Winter Park High School. And I'd skate for hours and hours and hours. And now, unfortunately, it's become a business and you got to invest more time and more money into it. And But at the end of it, the core value of everything that we do is about earning the next opportunity. And cer- certainly, um, certainly all the people we talked about along this journey that I was on that influenced my life and influenced 
every part of it, whether it's the Wheat Brand and Wheat King group, which I'm fortunate to have, or my friends from Orlando, or people that I fought and battled with. You know, we've we all we all went through the process. Everybody does the same thing, just in their own field. So, um, I just I'd like I like for people to start to recognize that can't be bought. It's got to be earned, and uh, I cer- I certainly think that. Uh, my 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 numbers would show that the dollars that I earned I earned the hard way, and um, and I and I'm kind of humble by it. When you start throwing stuff out there, it's kind of like, oh my god, that's in some ways you're like that's kind of embarrassing. And then you know to to take the moment to reflect back and you go like, did some heavy lifting, kid. Certainly. And you did oh, you did something that uh, not many people can do. Uh, not many people, a uh, small percentage of the population plays a, a professional sport for a living, and, and you did that for many years. So uh, I hope when you do look back on your career, you're very proud of it because I think you should be. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. All right, Barry, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for this insane amount of time you've given me today, and I just want to wish you all the best going forward, and uh, we'll keep in touch, okay? Sounds good. Thank you right. for, uh, for having me on. Thanks, Barry. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to Barry Dreger for the time. It was a lot of fun catching up with him. Like I said, I hadn't spoken to him in, I don't know, 25 years or so. I only met him the one time. But uh, but this was great, and uh, I'm always appreciative when the boys give me uh, a good amount of time. Well, I'm appreciative when the boys give me any time, but especially people that I don't really have a relationship prior to the podcast. It really means a lot to me, and I hope, uh, Barry, if you, if you listen to both episodes, I hope that uh, I did your career justice. I hope I asked the right questions, and uh, I hope that uh, everything you wanted out there is out there now. So, uh, like I said, uh, thanks, uh, thanks to Barry Dreger. It was awesome. Uh, as far as next week goes, uh, I have a couple of irons in the fire. I'm hoping that I have to pick between two interviews to uh, to upload. And usually when that happens, <laughs> I end up with none. But, uh, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed. So hopefully I will have an interview for you next Monday. Oh, they, uh, that's Labor Day, so maybe Tuesday. I don't know, but uh, I'll have something for you next Monday. Everybody, uh, in case I don't drop a drop an episode next Monday, have a great Labor Day for uh, for all my American listeners and uh, everybody out there. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.